Rick Elias is a plane crash survivor, TED Talk speaker, and CEO of Red Ventures, a multi-billion dollar company. On this show, you'll hear conversations Rick feels lucky to have had with leaders, athletes, and innovators. Plus, three things you can learn from each. It's two people, 20 minutes, and three things with Rick Elias. On this episode of Three Things, Rick talks with Hindu priest Don Dapani about energy, focus, and awareness. He shared what it's like to live as a monk, what an energy vampire is, and how to destroy them, and how we can all harness the power of mindfulness to live a happier life. This is Three Things with Rick Elias. I am here with my dear friend Dan Dapani, and you know there are souls that uh, have met before, and I think ours have. We've only been friends for a little over a year, but I consider you a dear friend, so thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me, Eric. Likewise. Yeah. All right, let's let's get right into it. Okay. You were a monk for ten years. Yeah. Uh, what's that like? Pretty intense. There's a lot of people that say they've lived in monasteries, and a lot of them haven't really lived in a monastery. They've gone and stayed, gone for a six-month retreat, and pretended to be a monk. But where I went was the real deal. It, my guru had started a traditional Hindu monastery. It had been around for now almost 50 years. So you took vows of celibacy, renunciation. I spoke to my parents twice a year on the phone. No emails, no communications with them, any sorts. Never spoke to any of my friends or relatives again. You lead a very strict, disciplined life, three meals a day. You live in a tiny hut that's 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet with no plumbing, electricity, toilet, nothing. And, um, and it's intense training throughout the day, 24 hours a day. There's no let up at all. Even you get to train t- to sleep work in your sleep that is incredible how long were you the at the monastery uh 10 years 10 years was it uh, a difficult decision to leave the monastery the most difficult decision i've ever made in my life why becoming a monk was something i'd always wanted to do i wanted to be a monk since i was four or five years old i was very clear and it wasn't until about eight nine years old i realized it wasn't about becoming a monk it was about enlightenment that was my purpose in life becoming a monk was the most efficient way to enlightenment. Hence, I wanted to join the monastery, and I never knew any other life. So when things changed in the monastery after my guru died, I stayed for seven more years. He died three years after I joined. I stayed for seven more years. I felt we were going down different paths, and I felt the best thing to do was to leave, and that was the most difficult decision I've ever made. What was reentry into the normal world, if you may, not that yeah. the monastery is not normal, but it did, you know, right. the, the everyday world. What was that like? It was interesting. I think I was uh, so sad, honestly, about leaving that coming into the world, I was just so determined to rebuild my own monastery, which I'm doing in Costa Rica. <laughs> Even though I'm no longer a monk, now I'm technically a priest, and in Hinduism, priests can get married. I said, you know what? I'm just going to build my own Something that you taught me that has resonated with me is where your awareness goes, your energy flows. Yeah. And that, that resonates in my head constantly as a reminder of yeah. the power of mindfulness. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about mindfulness and yeah. kind of the framework on how to think about it. So it's a saying that my guru coined. Uh, I have to give him credit for it. You know, where awareness goes, energy flows. Essentially, it comes down to this concept that there are two things we need to understand. There's the mind and there's awareness. We're not the mind, rather we're awareness traveling within the mind. So look at awareness as an individual traveler, the same way that I'm in Charlotte now. I can go to New York tomorrow, I can go to LA tomorrow, and no matter where I go, I'll have different experiences. So if you look at yourself as not being the mind, but rather being awareness, and you can travel to different areas within your mind. 
So awareness can go to the happy area of the mind, to a sad area of the mind, to an enthusiastic area of the mind. And wherever that awareness goes, energy is flowing to that area. And energy is like water. If you want something to grow, put energy into it. If I took a watering can and I watered a garden bed, would the weeds grow or the flowers grow? Both, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever I water grows. So whatever you water in your mind will start to grow. So in order to develop something in your mind, move your awareness over there, right? Shift your awareness there so that that's where your energy flows. Once your energy starts to flow there, that thing starts to grow and manifest in your life. And you probably can say more to this that, you know, everything in life is created in the mind first. You had an idea of Red Ventures at some point. It started as a spark in your mind, and then you kept thinking about it and thinking and thinking, and then you created it, and then now it's manifesting. So the whole concept with awareness in the mind, learn to control where your awareness goes in the mind. And once you do that, you can control where your energy is flowing. Once you can control where your energy is flowing, you can control what's manifesting in your life. So basically, we, if we're willing to put in the work, yeah. um, can become anything. Pretty much. The four stages of manifestation, the first stage is impulse. You get a flash going, you know what, I'm gonna create a business called Red Ventures. You might not have the name, but you say, I'm gonna do this. The second stage is pulse. Now you start thinking about it. You have the impulse of the flash, the first stage, the idea. The second stage now is pulsing. You start thinking about it. I'm gonna do this, how should I do this? Where should I do this? How many people should work for me? What's it all about? And the third stage is creation. That's the toughest part where you're actually building the whole thing. You know, and then the fourth stage is the easy part, which is the manifestation. Here it exists. So you got impulse, pulse, creation, and manifestation. But it all starts in the mind first, and that's why I always harp: learn to control your awareness. Because once you can control your awareness, you can move your awareness to a particular area of the mind, hold it there long enough, so that enough energy starts to go to that particular area of the mind, and it starts to manifest in your mind. Everything manifests in the mental plane before it manifests in the physical plane. So if you um, if you had a you know someone working with you that was a worrier that is constantly worrying always goes to the worst place possible yeah um, and and it's been like that forever maybe it's what he or she observed at home mm -hmm. it's you know a habit that has been it's where awareness has gone all the time yeah can that person stop being a worrier for sure very easy I'll tell you a story my guru uh, shared with me so he was born in 1927 in Lake Tahoe and when he was seven years old so 1934 they were traveling in the car back home him and his dad and his mom and himself and it was snowing really heavily and he was really he got he started to get really worried because he was going to miss his favorite radio program called Captain Midnight and back then there's a guy with a mic like us going Captain Midnight right and there's no rerun so if you miss the show you miss the show it's 1934 so it's snowing really heavy and he's thinking to himself oh my god what if we get stuck in the snow we're not going to make it back I'm going to miss this episode I'm not going to hear it oh my gosh I think we're going to get stuck and at seven years old, all of a sudden he had this realization. He saw his awareness leaving the present moment, going into the future, creating a situation in his mind where they were stuck in the snow, coming back into the present and worrying about it. And then he said to himself at seven years old, wait a minute, we're not stuck in the snow yet. We're still moving. We're still on time to get home to watch my show. I'm all right right now. So he came up with this beautiful affirmation at seven years old where he kept saying to himself, I'm all right right now. If I kept my awareness here in the present moment, I'm okay. But if I allow my awareness to go into the future, create situations that haven't happened, come back to the present, and then worry about them, 
that's what worry is. So once you understand what worry is and you understand how to control awareness, you'll never worry again. Because right. worry is really allowing your awareness to go into the future, create things that haven't happened, yeah. come back to the present, and worry about them. You know, I read a, a quote, and I, I don't know who it was, but it's yeah. around the same theme that and I actually have used as one of my living mantras, mm -hmm. which is, I have lived through a lot of great things in my life, some that have actually happened, which means I've actually let my awareness go to a place that is much happier than I can't even imagine outcome, and I live there. Yeah. Right. So in many ways, you can actually use your awareness as long as you don't go into la la land, so to speak, to exactly. actually live a, a happier existence. Because you, if you project the future to be happy, yep. that's a you know, positive reaffirmation. It is. And, you know, if you look at awareness as a traveler, again, as an example, if I'm in Charlotte and I'm sure there are good neighborhoods in Charlotte and there are dodgy neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. I can choose where I want to go. I can choose to go to a dodgy neighborhood, have dodgy experiences, or go to a nice neighborhood and have nice experiences. The mind's the same way. What, what are, what's a good exercise? What is a good um, practice to have to do that? I would say, you know, find one reoccurring event in your day. Mm. So for example, uh, if you live with a partner or a spouse, and just say you live with your wife, every day you spend maybe half an hour, an hour speaking with her or having dinner with her. So that's a reoccurring event every day. It's, it's, it's like the Truman Show. It's happening every day, right? right? right, right, right. So use that as an opportunity to observe where your awareness is going. So if you're sitting with your spouse and having dinner with her every day, just say you go home every day at 7 and you have dinner with your spouse from 7 to 8. Use that as an opportunity to observe where your awareness is going. Can you keep your awareness on her the whole time or is it drifting away? Yeah. And if it drifts away, then bring your awareness back. If it drifts away, bring it back. And it, and it comes down to repetition huh? and yeah. training your awareness over and over. It's relentless yeah. hard work of bringing your awareness back. And what you'll find eventually is that your awareness goes away for two minutes yeah. initially before you bring it back then eventually it goes away for 90 seconds, then eventually 60 seconds, then 30 seconds, and then eventually you're right. just completely present. And that's wow. how you train it. But you find a reoccurring event because that reoccurring event is the opportunity to practice right. a tool. It's like a controlled environment. It's a controlled environment and it's happening every day. So yeah. use it, leverage it as an opportunity to work with your awareness. Now think about in this world of social media, yeah. we have introduced the complete opposite. Completely, of, yes. You know, it's like that ball that is floating around now it's going hyper speed yeah all and, over the place you know probably becomes harder and harder to be aware of your awareness or control your awareness because it's actually moving faster yeah and you know i always say you know we become good at whatever we practice mm. and practice doesn't have the ability to discriminate between what's good for us and what's not good for us whatever you practice is what you become good at if you look at the best athletes musicians artists in the world they practice seven eight nine hours a day over and it's repetition of mm. the same thing they're not practicing new things it's the same things you know like nadal i mean i'm not a tennis player or expert in tennis but <laughs> do you think he has a million different types of serves probably not right he probably must have a handful of them and he just practices them over and over again how many times do you think he does his serve thousand ten thousand yeah. hundred thousand a million times right yeah. so if you're on social media and your awareness is jumping around from one thing to another over and over again in a space of you know, minutes, and you do this hours every day, what would you be good at after six months? It's just like awareness and hyperspeed all over. And then when you sit down to actually do something of value, sit down with a friend or a loved one, or play a sport, how do you expect to concentrate? You can't, because you've been practicing distraction all day. That is 
Yeah. So true. All yeah. right, let's let's go to the other side of the coin. And yeah. another term that I've uh, learned from you is energy vampires. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, so this is based on the concept that we only have a finite amount of energy each day. And uh, you have 100% of energy throughout the day. We're investing energy into people and things around us. But most of us never evaluate who and what we invest energy into. So I, I would say, you know, we talked earlier about if you want to manifest something in your life, you put energy into it. Now, the law of thermodynamics states you cannot create or destroy energy, but you can transfer or transform energy from one thing to another. So if you can't create energy, then you only have so much energy you're working with. So I would imagine with running a company, one of the first things you want to do is make sure you're not losing money or hemorrhaging money. Is that a fair statement? That, that's a fair statement. Before you get more investment yeah. in, right? You yeah. want to make sure you plug all the holes. Life is the same way too. Before you put your energy into something, you want to make sure where are the holes in your life? Where are you losing energy? And people lose energy in three areas. People, things, consume energy, and unresolved emotional experiences in the subconscious mind. Mm. Baggage that we've been carrying around our life that consume the conversations you have in your head where you say something to somebody and then they respond in your head and then you get upset by what they said in your head and then there's a full-on fight going on in your head for 10 minutes, that's hugely energy-consuming, right. right? So people that consume energy, I call them energy vampires. You know, I classify energy vampires into two categories, transient energy vampires and inherent energy vampires. <laughs> transient ones are people that are going through a difficult time and for maybe a period of two, three years are consuming a lot more energy. And inherent energy vampires are people that are, you know, been sucking your energy for the last 30 decades and it's best to slowly move them out of your life yeah yeah that's a hard yeah. thing to do isn't it it is you know but for me making those decisions come down to one single thing is how much do i value my life and i realize even though i believe in reincarnation i know i have one life as Nandapani, and i really really value it and when my guru was dying one of the last things he said on his deathbed was um, what an amazing life i would not have traded it for anything in the world what an amazing life. I would not have traded it for anything in the world. Now, to hear a dying men say that, you know, it is life-changing. You know, because how many people can truly be on their deathbed to be able to look back on their life and go, that was freaking spectacular. Yeah. And yeah. I want to be in that place, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you get better at your level uh, at managing, you know, your awareness, managing your mind in, in that evolution? What, what practices do you do and how do you measure that progress? I put myself in situations that will push me. Mm. So I never get upset in New York. There's nothing in New York that bothers me. Just, I'm, I just, it, I really don't. Right. I just don't. Yeah. But when I go to India, and I do retreats in India once a year, or in Asia, India particularly has a unique ability to push my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> and I would lose it sometimes. Yeah. You know, so I go to India once a year to practice not getting yeah. upset. And I'm very proud to say the last three years I haven't been upset once that is wonderful you know i, I one of the yeah. three things that i learned as as my plane was going down was mm -hmm. you know how much time i had wasted on negative energy so yeah i am nowhere near the no negative energy but i am very quick to realize uh when i'm in that state of mind and very quick to yeah. actually get out of it 
Yeah, it's amazing how many people live with negative people, live with negative energy. And, you know, people give excuses, right? When it comes to friends and colleagues, it might be easier to kind of like walk away from. But when it comes to relatives and family members, it's harder to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, whether a father might be an energy vampire or a sibling might be. And, and for me, that's when it's a really true test of how much you value your life. If you really value your life. So the way I look at it, Rick, you know, if, if I allowed someone to beat up on me, I can't be the best version of me. And if I can't be the best version of me, I can't serve the people and things that I love, right? So true. my obligation, my, my duty to the people and things that I serve, my, my goals, my purpose in life, requires that I be the best version mm -hmm. of myself. In order to be the best version of myself, I need to protect myself from people that might abuse me physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally. Right, which are these energy vampires? How how are you going to use these teachings in yeah. your parenting? Oh, I want to share with my daughter everything. You know, one of my greatest teachers, I would have to say, is this, uh, and I've never shared this with anyone except my wife. One of my greatest teachers in recent years in my life is the caretaker that looks after our land in Costa Rica. Huh. His name is Jorge. Amazing guy, hardworking. I met him five years ago. His son was three years old. His son spends the whole day with him. You know, he's so talented, he knows things, he's driven, he's responsive. That's one of the greatest characteristics of a mature soul is responsiveness. And yeah. what I mean by that is that if you see something needs to be done, you just go do it. Yeah. You don't wait for someone to tell you, right? There's a piece of paper on the floor, go pick it up. Right? You don't need someone. There's a dirty dish, wash it. I know it's not yours. doesn't matter. Responsiveness was the quality, one of the qualities that my guru taught the monks to cultivate. Humility and responsiveness. And this kid is so responsive, but because he sees his dad, he's with his dad every single day. Mm. I go like, that's how I wanna raise my daughter. Mm. I wanna, you know, if I'm gonna have a kid, then I wanna invest my life with her, with them, into them, you know? But let's see, check in with me again. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're gonna be great at it. You know, I, I, every year I have a, go look back, and now this is the time of the year to do this, and, and you look about, okay, who do I meet this year? And you were very much at the top of my list last year that you know was energy positive right and yeah. and that i want to cultivate the relationship yeah. that i want to learn from i every year around november december make a list of people that are active in my life right. and i assign statuses to them huh. uplifting neutral not uplifting yeah. energy vampire transient inherent <laughs> and then i take a hundred percent of energy and i have to divide them between all those people right. And if someone during the year has been really amazing to me and been investing, I give them more energy. Yeah. And if you use 100%, very soon you run out of energy to invest to all the other people on your list. And when you make it in terms of numbers, yeah. you find that you just don't have enough energy for everyone. Right. And then you need to prioritize. And I prioritize based on the people that uplift me and the people that also invest back in me. Thank you, Dan DePani. That was as enjoyable of a conversation as I have ever had. So here are the three things I've learned. You will perfect what you practice. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Number two, time is our most important resource. The key to living with and on purpose is mastering how we allocate our time. And number three, we should all have the same goal, which is at the end of our lives to be able to say what an amazing life we have lived and will not trade it for anything in the world. If you're enjoying the Three Things Podcast, let us know. Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with Rick directly on Twitter at Rick Elias. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com.
next time on Three Things, New York Times columnist Anand Girardis. Thanks for listening.